This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's time for the Tigers Radio Podcast, the most complete coverage of Detroit Tigers baseball from the high-flying Tigers of Lakeland to the show. Oh, and welcome into another episode of Tigers Radio Podcast here at MotorCityBengals.com. I'm Rogelio Casillo. Alongside me is Uper. Chris will be along shortly, and we'll be talking some base, a lot of the stuff that happened today in between the mini camp, what have you. But we'll get to that a little later. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Heart, and iHeart Media, and Stitchler, and we have a new Patreon, Tigers or Tigers Radio, or excuse me, Tigers Minor League Report at Patreon.com, and we're we got a new subscriber so thank you to i'm not gonna say her, her name but thank you and just uh we send a little thank you package out there shortly so our guest this evening is phil steely who is responsible for a really good website called cubadugout.com he just took a trip to cuba as the national series is kicked off and in league play and he is a source for streaming games and it's it's a great because there's no, really no baseball going on here. We're still a few weeks away from minor league spring training. And Phil just took a tour of the island where I probably wish us right now with the temperatures the way they are now that you were back there. Welcome in. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, thanks to uh, modern, uh, modern technology. Unfortunately, I'm not in Havana currently, but uh, my backdrop uh, makes me think that I am. So I guess that's the, uh, the closest that I can, uh, that I can get to it. So. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of those things where kick things off. You're in a, in a country where there's just history of baseball. And I know like for Tiger fans right now, we have, uh, normally we, we try to talk. I was trying to open up the audience a little bit in terms of even talking about just different things that you can only talk so much about Detroit, Detroit Tigers baseball before. And I have so many interesting, there's so many interesting things out there that I wanted to cover. And you just took a trip and there to me, one of the things I noticed was some of the the, the, the photography, the video was well done. But what made you start the website? What was your the idea behind starting this, the website? Yeah, so so the website is actually relatively new. Although I've been uh, I've been dabbling in the space for the uh, for the past ten years or so. Um, the, the focus uh, predominantly is uh, is more on the photo side. I'd say that's uh, I, I like to think that's my greatest skill. But uh, over time, um, my experiences and kind of what I've captured, and you know, being a, a lifelong baseball uh, lifelong baseball fan and having uh, you know pretty pretty good idea sometimes of what's going on, uh, has merged into more uh, more analysis more writing and so uh, about a year ago I launched the the website after having mostly just a, a social media presence and so fundamentally just trying to uh, to, to to grow the knowledge of the uh, of the Cuban uh, Cuban experience the history um, I've been very lucky that I've seen a number of players that uh, are, are playing in the pros now before they uh, before they left some some successfully I kind of looked and said that guy would uh, would probably uh, you know have a successful career and and others I've been surprised by but I've had some pretty unique experiences, captured some of it and, and a number of different thoughts. And as many doors have opened and, and built a lot of relationships, I think uh, has given me kind of a unique perspective, but one that I, that I really like to share with, uh, with baseball fans, uh, you know, all over the world. Yeah. And the series usually starts a little later in August or September, I believe. And, yeah. and this year it started in January due to COVID. So um, you did a really good article about how Cuba's handling baseball now with COVID, but, 
going on is it totally a, a fanless experience or, or fans there with masks or how's that whole process going so, so you know, Cuba has gotten fairly uh, back to normal. That 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 was uh, a level that was refreshing, and I, I definitely had some uh, some trepidations in uh, before I took the trip. But uh, a lot of those were assuaged fairly quickly. Uh, they're pretty serious about their uh, their masking, but um, you know, the positive is that fans are allowed into the stadiums. Um, it's supposed to be at a fifty percent capacity clip. I uh, I don't know how they actually monitor that, but uh, so so at least uh, in Havana, the um, the crowds were were pretty robust and um, what what might have been lacking in attendance. So it wasn't at a hundred percent. So I think, you know, they probably did cut some of that off, but uh, what it was lacking in pure attendance was definitely uh, made up for in, in, in exuberance. And so uh, which had been lacking even, even before uh, COVID, you know, I guess one one thing is there's still a lot of baseball passion and the fans are very passionate in, in, in Cuba. But what they do have in common with fans all over the world is if you don't give them a good product, uh, it's harder. It's a harder sell. And so, you know, that 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 passion exists. But it's good to see that it was uh, it was revived. And specifically, I was at the home opener for Industrialis of Havana, who are often considered the Yankees of Havana. And after two long years, uh, there was a lot of pent up demand and, and pent up aggression. And it was great to see uh, fans back in the stand. And, and excited and exuberant. And I got to say, the article about comparing the apples to Nananjas was good <laughs> because when you went to the, the Tigers portion, you didn't really go make it softball and go, well, hey, you know, the Tigers are – no, you, you did a good comparison to the Giants. And maybe the – it's kind of like if you get a chance to look at it here, I'll, we'll put the article in the description of the podcast this evening. But, yeah, the Industrialists are the – the biggest team and one of the most popular teams. And actually I like the simplicity of the logo and um, even the jerseys, but as far as contending this year, is it too early to tell who's going to be, who's going to rise to the top here? Yeah. So, so the league itself is in quite a bit of transition. I mean, the news that that makes uh, the rounds for good reason has been the number of, uh, of top level and, and younger players that have left. So, uh, some some figures pegger that uh, peg that about twenty percent of the league is going to be rookies this year. Um, that being said, I mean there are some jurisdictions are going to have greater advantages. Um, I guess the easiest way that I can say it, I, I'm predicting that Matanzas is the team that they um, they lost in the finals last year, but uh, probably has the best chance to win it this year because they are returning a lot of veteran players and and uh, they're they're kind of unique too that they've repatriated some uh, some players that actually uh, had a cup of tea and. In, uh, either in the majors or in, in major league camps. So so they've done a good job of, of building a roster that way, specifically for the National Series, where a lot of other teams, you know, are, are developing players, hoping they'll stay. Uh, sometimes that's a little naive and, you know, it's had an impact on different teams. But um, so far through the first, uh, you know, through the first 15 games, I would say there aren't too, too many surprises, except that it's very bunched up. So um, no team is eliminated just yet, but also the other thing that you see happening a lot of times with the, with the national series is, uh, now this year could be a little bit different too. Cause as you mentioned that the timings are a bit off, um, that normally would start in September, uh, in, in, in August or September. And it's been pushed back effectively to uh, a lot of times when the championship uh, series would be held. So, um, a lot of times what will happen towards the end of a season is if players are returning, 
Um, you know, there are players that are allowed to play in Japan. There are players that uh, that are allowed to play in Mexico. So a lot of times, if, if those players come back in time for the playoffs, can have a have a big impact. Um, one small thing that that I think um, a lot of purists that, that that like the game on the island are enjoying to see is I think they've eliminated. They used to have uh, for for a few years they would have a reinforcement uh, draft kind of entering. So at the the midway mark, half the teams would stop playing and some players would be uh, redistributed. Then they'd do that again, entering the playoffs. So at least last year, as disjointed as it was for the 75 games that they got in in the playoffs, felt like the first time in a long time when the team that won it was of players from that province and, and the team that was closest to um, to the one that started at the beginning of the year. So one of the, the other questions I want to ask you too, in terms of like Cuban baseball history, you look at, Almost you view it in two kind of two chapters, or at least from from my perspective, two chapters, everything before nineteen sixty one. So as mm-hmm. far as historical records are concerned with finding because this kind of ties in with, with, with the Negro Leagues and trying to put the history together where for example, there's there's one article or there's a place there was a website that had Mini Minosa, the Hall of Famer for the White Sox. He apparently played for the, the Los Tigres multiple times throughout but then you go to baseball reference and it shows they only played for one season one off season in 19, i think it was like 1957 so how hard is it to find true versus fiction yeah no it's it's getting easier and i do have to give uh give credit to some of the trailblazers that have been out uh out in that space um and and there are some great books and i try and reference them anytime that i that i pull from that material the people who've uh paved some of that road for me. So, so the late Peter Bjarkman um, was a trailblazer. Uh, Cesar Brioso um, also has, has put out some good books and, and uh, through, uh, through, through Saber and through, um, and, and through baseball reference, it's, it's getting easier. Um, oftentimes it does, you know, if I've been at it long enough, I think that, that, um, you know, if I read something and, and my instincts are pretty good when it needs a little bit of follow-up to kind of piece together some of that doesn't mean I get it a hundred percent right, but have been getting, have been getting better at that. And sometimes it can be uh, very confusing or it can, it can be similar or, uh, there, there's small little quirks that, um, that aren't completely covered. Um, you know, as you mentioned, there's a, there's a great, uh, great history with the, with the Negro leagues and make no mistake about it. Cuba was definitely a little bit more, more progressive, but, uh, I've tried to trace out a little bit more of that history and, and how some of those relationships came together and how some of the great Negro league players ended up in Cuba and, and vice versa. And, you know, it's not, it's, it's a different era. So, you know, it, it's not as if someone just, Oh my God, these guys are, are so fantastic we need them here it's more that the relationships were forged kind of in in the states an opportunity came up because the the original um the original cuban pro league that used to run in the winter was typically anywhere from two to five teams almanderas and and la habana are considered the the immortal rivals but fundamentally they were always struggling to uh to find a consistent third or fourth team and really it was because everything was havana centric it hadn't spawned out into to the other provinces so a lot of times teams would would start playing run out of money couldn't draw the fans so and just a, a quick anecdote on that is and, and i put out a, a video recently on on the 1923-1924 Santa Clara Leopardos, who are a legendary team and, and considered, um, you know, kind of the best Cuban baseball team ever, and were backstopped by by a number of Negro League stars such as, as Oscar Charleston. 
but I think I've learned over time. And again, thanks to the writings of, of uh, some of those that have, that have blazed that trail before that you, you begin to find out that um, some of the lore now, not what they did on the field, that they were impressive, make no mistake about it, but just some of the lore that, you know, did the other teams tap out more likely it was that it just wasn't financially viable to keep traveling to that. So they kind of ended the season early. So there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of that early on, but there was always that will to try. And that's why you would see players come and go and have to, you know, maybe play for a little bit. And it wasn't that they couldn't hack it. It's probably that the paycheck stopped coming. So then did they move to Mexico? Did they move to the States? It was always kind of uh, patchwork together that way. So it's, so it's interesting to see that tapestry, but again, some of the names and some of the luminaries that, uh, that applied their craft there. If I had a time machine, I wish I could go back with, uh, with my camera, both for, for stills and for video. So. Yeah. There's, I mean, the, the looking at some of the winter leagues and imagine and playing the same four teams so you're looking at a team playing, I'm sorry, three other teams, yeah. uh, 137 games. So that it was just imagine it. I, I don't know. Like that would be kind of like, all right, well, here we go again, playing the Elefantes and, uh, you know, but the, just. So the seasons typically, yeah, the seasons typically were a little bit shorter, but sometimes it could definitely, uh, it, it could definitely turn into that drain. And again, uh, it, it's, um, it was kind of funny that the whole league was basically owned by a chap uh, named uh, by the last name of, of Linares and you know was always struggling to to try and prop up and find that uh that viable uh squad and then in the 1940s is when when you started to see what kind of is considered uh what most people consider that 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 true footprint of the league when you had Almanderas, you had Havana, you had Cienfuegos, and, and you had uh, Marianao. And and then ironically, at different points, all of them would be playing out of Havana. And so, again, it was always trying to find that financial viability and, and find a fan base with a, a vision of eventually uh, getting, a, you know, kind of every every province. And those provinces, you know, the jurisdictions have grown. But for every province to have a team, as they do now. Uh, so I guess if I want to be completely accurate, there are 15 provinces and one special jurisdiction, which is La Isla de, de Juventud, but uh, 16 teams effectively, meaning that the major city in every one of the provinces in Cuba is represented by a team in the Cuban National Series. So in, in terms of looking at some of that, getting into Cuban baseball and into Major League Baseball now, in terms of into the 90s a little bit, mm-hmm. some of the trailblazers I, I think of, of course, Lebron Hernandez, and then another, another arm that um, another person I really consider even for pitching wise is uh, Rene Ochoa, who was a great national player. Talk about the, were these some of the players, including, um, was it Rolando Rojo? Rojo Rays, yep. right? Rolando Rojo, yep. Yeah. Are those, to, in, in, in terms of, from the island perspective, are those some of the trailblazers that really set the foot for, into the modern game a little bit? So you see, there's a few different, um, a few different uh, epochs or, or eras for that, and so no, uh, nobody's path on the island is is the same. And so, um, I mean, to, to pull it into Tiger's terms, obviously uh, Barbara Garvey was kind of the first, uh, first sort of uh, person to make that jump post post-revolution so there was a big gap in there and even his case I, I've studied it a little bit he was kind of uh, banned from the national series over potentially betting on games so 
Uh, I think he was actually allowed to leave during the Mariel boat lift, which is, you know, the famous scene at the beginning of, of Scarface. And, and so, you know, maybe they considered him a ne'er-do-well and were like, yeah, best of luck. But he turned it into a World Series ring in, in, in a short career. So then there was a little bit of a gap in between there. And, and um, you know, outside of the fact that obviously we've got some uh, we've got some other other great players that we don't always think of as being Cuban in your Jose Canseco's and, and Rafael Palmero, but obviously got out uh, got out very young. So that, that we, we had a few examples of that. But you're right. In the 1990s, we saw a little bit of a shift. And uh, actually, at first was was largely pitchers so it's a lot of a lot of guys that were with the uh, the national team and uh, you know some of the stories are well documented and obviously a lot of it was under either the cloak of darkness or uh, with a couple of the players I think escaped um, during either Olympic tournament or, or a qualifying tournament so um, you know that that it's never easy. It's never an easy decision for anybody that's choosing to, to leave. But um, for, for those first group, um, you know, we look and say they, they were definitely risking a number of, you know, risking not seeing their family, but they're risking their own health and, and, and their methods of getting out. So, you know, we, we saw that wave of pitchers. And then again, there was a little bit of a break. And then uh, the big shift really was, I think, the, the World Baseball Classic in 2006, because uh, it was kind of the first time that we saw this vaunted um, team and, and, you know, Cuba dominated in international competitions, the, the Olympics, all of that. But there was always a bit of a perception that they were effectively a professional team playing against amateurs. Debate that, if you will. I mean, there's there's a heck of a lot of talent and a lot of guys there that if the majors could have gotten a hold of them, you know, there's there's some famous stories about Omar Linares being courted by the Yankees and they, they basically offered him a blank check, but either he didn't want to leave or wasn't able to leave. So so there's a, a level up. But really, 2006 is, is when we start to see that pivot. And I think some of it might have been um, more more players once they saw that they could compete against um, those, uh, you know, the, the, the U.S. And, and the Dominican, you know, they finished uh, second in that in that world base cl- baseball classic only to Japan, but really looked and said, hey, we can we can do this. And then, you know, kind of, um, you know, some agents and, and some some human smugglers got involved in there. And then when the dollars had started getting kicking around, really, really tipped off that uh, that next uh, that next step. So that takes us today where, where a lot of times people can use different methods. Um, you know, thankfully, you know, I, I, I think it's it's safer. Um, you know, there, there's the talk that most of the uh, most of the human smuggling element has been eliminated. Mm-hmm. So it does seem to be a safer path out. But make no mistake about it. Th- these guys are still risking. They're risking the chance that, you know, they might not be able to see their family, you know, for at least eight years is some of the policy to beyond that to, you know, you, you are still potentially dealing with uh, with some shady characters. Some people are being sold a bill of goods over, you know, whether someone can get them there. So. You know, and just the inherent risk of how do you pay your bills, uh, you know, as great as it looks when the guys sign for, for the dollars, you know, that's that's no easy path even to get to that point. So there's there's a lot of inherent risk in there. And, and you know, maybe someday that path will be a little bit more legal. We, we keep our fingers crossed. 2018, you know, obviously there was there was talk of a deal, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, but sometimes myopic on that, that, that maybe that deal can be revisited. Yeah, I, and I hope so too because you look at a team, for example, I think of the the '91 Estrellas that had three or four, or potentially, I think it was four players who eventually would hit the major leagues at some point, or the, in the minors in mm-hmm. certain cases. Ray Ardonias, which was uh, one of a uh, shortstop for the Mets, one of the first players I remember wearing the number zero, talented defender. 
hitting wise, it's it, he was a little light hitter, but still he was a great defender. He was a wizard. Yeah, yeah, he was definitely that. a wizard. And then you know Yuki uh, uh, Rojas, who is now the Tigers' Latin player development, was the all-time <laughs> leader in saves for the national team. Is part of that team, and then uh, of course what I mentioned earlier with an A. So to see a team like that finish, in terms of just the amount of talent on that one team to end up kind of paving the way for others to come in there. Mm-hmm. That, that's where I think it's, and I'm, I'm glad to see that if it's going to be more humane and it just, it seems like we hear these stories and a lot of people think it's exaggeration. It's not. And I, I firmly believe that when you hear people going on it, like the, 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 the people going on the boats and what have you, it's, 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 it's painful it really yeah. is. It's yeah, it's heart wrenching. Like I said, thankfully, it seems like most of that has been eliminated or at the very least when when players have taken the opportunity is more um, more kind of when they're when they're traveling, Um, you know, make no mistake about it. That's that's a serious threat to the uh, to the Federation. And, you know, they they're currently kicking around different strategies. That's why I don't think you're going to see them in as many tournaments and it might even uh, impact the teams that they, that they, uh, that they send. So I always say, you know, I, I, um, I try and strike a balance in, in my coverage. Um, also in terms of, I mean, I like to see a thriving Cuban league, but by the same token, I want to see every player get the chance to, you know, if, if there's a higher league that they can play in, that they can make that money that, that and, and really alter their life. You know, I want to see everybody get the, get the chance to do that. So it's, it's trying, to find that balance but there are people i'd say that are getting paid more than me but it is cuba so maybe they're not but uh, there are people that are in more important positions than i am that uh, that are making some of those decisions so you know the white Sox have seemed to have always had that little bit of a pipeline going back to alexi ramirez mm-hmm. and so on and now obviously with luis robert um can you talk at all about some of the relationship building that they must have uh, established to, to get that pipeline of small pipeline of players and what other teams aren't doing. Yeah. So I think there is a level of, it started with, with a level of faith, uh, faith in their, in their, um, in their scouting department. And, and so, um, because people, people frequently ask, are there scouts on the Island? As far as I know, the answer is no. And, and kind of the, um, the answer, mm-hmm driven is is into the ground is no so the reality is that with a lot of these players the first look is going to be you know once they've gotten out and once they've gotten the into the dominican and so even if you look at it as a philosophy um how more recently i guess because you think about it it's in the past five years is when things have really changed with the international uh spending limits and and so it's still early but we haven't seen too too many kids that have really broken through that yet so if you look at 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 that previous model of um and i think luis rober is probably the last uh the last one that we're going to see that kind of came over as a true free agent before that before that change but rober and uh and and abreu and like you say alexi ramirez and and the like was more of that that leap of faith that they knew that they were getting kind of a veteran player Mm-hmm. Um, but there was still inherent risk, especially when you look at the same time that, you know, other teams, the Red Sox kind of swung and missed on a couple, you know, Rusny Castillo stands out, uh, yep. the Dodgers spent big money. So I think there is a level that the White Sox, you know, gambled uh, on, on the right players. And from there, everybody that comes over looks and says, you know, Jose Abreu has been a steadying professional mm-hmm. presence in that, but in the, they have, they have a strong history as well, going as far back as many Minosio and, and, 
and and the like. And so uh, I think that's that's that pipeline that they've that they've built. The Astros have a strong one as well. Um, sometimes I think some of it's overstated. Like it's just if you sign the right players, and and so because a lot of people reach out to me and like, oh, you know, I, I I cheer for Team X. I wish they would sign more Cubans. I'm like, well, sometimes be careful what what you ask for on that. You know, depending <laughs> on what the organization's philosophy is, because you know it, it looks good when when on that major league level when you see Moncada, even though obviously he was signed by the Red Sox and and Abreu and and uh, Luis Robert. But I'm not sold that that's necessarily the player that's coming over just yet or that path is going to be the same moving forward so as as an organization you know when people say why do some teams you know spend more time in the dominican or spend more time in in venezuela i think a lot of it has to do with trusting their scouts some of it's the process some of it's just philosophy of the type of player the age of player and how much they want to put into their development and and so you know you can catch lightning in a bottle or you can turn around very quickly uh, obviously the White Sox have uh, in the past couple signing periods uh, spent big on, on a few more mature players, but their window is going to be shorter that if they're not making an impact soon, they're going to look at it and say, do we wish that we had signed a 16 or 17 year old? So there's always, there's always an opportunity cost in, in, in any signing, sure. especially with prospects. What is the, um, the, the uh, youth development program in Cuba look like? I mean, how soon are some of these top players identified there? Yeah, so they have a few different tiers. Uh, basically, I believe there's a, a U12, a U15, uh-huh. a U18, and, and U23 program. So depending on what province it is, now I've seen some of this firsthand. The mm-hmm. rest of it I've kind of uh, stitched together, and, and, and sometimes you can't get the, the full answer, or the answer is that it, it's some of it's regimented, but it's not completely. But, for instance, I've spent some time in, in Cienfuegos, and, and they have academies there. Okay. Uh, so some of the I think some of the smaller provinces use more of an academy-based system where if the kids get identified in, in Little League and, you know, kind of apply for that program, spend, spend you know, basically their full days doing different sessions of baseball, uh, some, some general athletic training and their, um, and, you know, and their scholastic work. However, uh, recently just spent some time with, uh, with a young pitcher in, in Havana and kind of asked what his process was because, you know, his, his, his path was a little bit different. And I think this mirrors what I've heard from a few other people too, that in the bigger city, there, there is a, a development path, make no mistake about it. They have their eyes on some of the top players, but, if you kind of uh, find your way into working into not completely affiliated, not little league, like we would necessarily think about it in, in the States. But, you know, he, he said he started showing up to his local ball field at, uh, at nine years old. And so the, and and it's a nice facility by standard. So, so to just call it, it's not like it's a, you know, this is a, an inner city ballpark that has some some infrastructure. But basically, the chap who was overseeing this this program used to be with Industrialis. So, you know, he's keeping his eyes peeled if he sees top level talent to, to either work with the kid or get that messaging out to to if he knows someone on the squad. Hey, t- take a look at this guy if they've missed to that to that point. Um, so actually I was watching, uh, today I've seen some interesting that, um, after I was watching a Matanzas broadcast that they were, they were showing that right after the provincial league was playing and I have seen the provincial league, uh, in the past. So there is, there, there, there is pipeline that way. They do keep, uh, they do keep touch. It's not quite minor league, but, um, yeah, a lot of times if kids are div- uh, scouted early, they'll get into the pipeline, but there are still other opportunities to be seen and to kind of force your hand and, and to make them take a look at you. 
I got to believe it's just amazingly competitive to get a spot in an academy. Yeah, I, I I would think so. I don't know all the details on that, but I assume there's there's an application process, and and especially because I think it's heavily subsidized if it's not paid for completely. So, um, they're they're not going to waste a spot on that, and you know, yeah. so it's um, and it, I hate to like there does seem to be some sentiment that they are losing a lot of athletes to um, either soccer not that they're playing at that high a level but if the kids aren't getting identified earlier i think kids are getting a little bit uh, dissuaded from it and then just playing other sports for 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 fun uh whereas there's almost a, a little bit more of a perception now that that the, that it is an elitist thing whereas even if it was true or if it wasn't that you know everybody's just playing on sand lots and everybody has a chance i mean you do have to have a development program but i think we've seen uh, the, or the way I'll phrase it is there's, there's definitely pressures on the game overall. Some of it's cultural, you know, on TV, you see more international soccer kids are, are wearing those jerseys. They're, they're becoming fans of that. You're losing kids to, to the cell phone and to the screen. So in a lot of ways, it's, it's, it's similar to, uh, to the States and to the rest of the world that if you take those kids, you take that fan, you take them for granted. There's, there's a greater chance now than ever that you're going to lose them. Yeah, I was going to ask in terms of a, from a competition standpoint, the equivalency, for example, we can say the Mexican League is like the equivalency of, I believe, double A for uh, the, the National Series. What kind of level of baseball for fans uh, checking out the podcast mm-hmm. would you compare it to? So it's tough because I've heard a ball and, and so make no mistake about it. It really depends on the matchup that you're seeing because the way that I look at it is so the Mexican league, obviously is a professional league they pay and, and I don't want to discredit because there's a lot of good ball players there, but it's almost either guys that are just destined to play there or, or flamed out elsewhere. Whereas Historically, at least, the National Series, just because the structure obviously has produced more people that have graduated on to the major leagues. So if the overall talent level is probably more consistent, you know, to say that double A level in in Mexico um, is is the Cuban League more an A ball, maybe to that that double A. But obviously you can run into that that more of those diamonds, you know, kind of in the rough that you look at and say, oh, this guy could be could be in the show someday. The caveat on that is the way that the that the talent has kind of gone in the last little bit that I think you're going to see fewer and fewer players um, actually have a sustained career in, in the national series. I hope that isn't the case. And again, that, that kind of loops back to um, the plan that was in place back in 2018 that would have been more similar to a Japanese posting system where if a kid is, you know, has played six years or, you know, seven years of service time and reaches 25, then could be posted. So, I mean, that way you could have the best of many worlds that can still play for Team Cuba, still that that your your teams in Cuba aren't losing their best talent. And in fact, actually probably creates a better pipeline that you're not losing as many people that are just leaving on a lark as opposed to theoretically every every guy that's going over is because he's considered a bona fide prospect. And then the scouting comes, comes into place a little bit more. So, you know, it's uh, the way I liken it is... I mean, I'm not going to get too deep into the politics. We know how messy they are and and everybody's got a hand in that. But, you know, there is some level that I think Major League Baseball is the one who has shied away from reviving the uh, reviving the deal, even though, you know, was struck down over over kind of legal grounds. But I think MLB now is less likely to revive that because they're getting the best of all worlds so they can still get the players. 
they're paying them less and less. But the only fear I have of that is you could be penny wise and pound foolish. And just like any resource, if you don't put the, you know, if you don't cultivate that, uh, that, that soil, eventually the crop is going to stop growing. So. So the, uh, one of the last things I want to ask you in terms of you're talking about the infrastructure right now for like little league baseball or mm-hmm. setting up the with competing with soccer or um, even like traditional what people considered powerhouses for Cubans, such as judo or taekwondo boxing, boxing. was a mind volleyball. The females team has done really well throughout in, in national competition. So in terms of that, even for the way you were mentioning earlier about the, People more have cell phones now more than ever on the island, and cell phone service is getting better. But as far as from a national presence, it still seems like baseball, in terms of on a world stage, that Cuba still ranks among the top five countries in the world. So depending on yeah, depending on on which ranking. So value WBSC, um, there I think they recently moved up to ninth from eleventh because I mean there there's been a lot of it's been a while since since they've had that impact and you can debate what um, what the cause of that is. I mean the reality is um, there's more Cuban baseball talent in the world than there's ever been. Most of it is just not in Cuba anymore. So those drains are, are real. And, and again, the, the, the passion is still there. It's just, you know, they are moving into a more digital world and, and a small thing that, that people frequently lament. Or um, one of the things that actually brought excitement, I should say, while I was there. So the background is one of the one of the series that I got to, and those were day games. Now, we found out the next day that the next coming games would be during the night. That doesn't sound like it should be a big thing, but with the energy concerns that they've had over the past couple of years, many of the stadiums, their lighting systems have fallen into a state of disrepair. So mm-hmm. historically, you know, where there would be during the season a primetime night game on TV every night, that wasn't the case. Luckily, that's that's starting to revive a little bit. So in its place, though, is not broadcasts of, of major league baseball. It's international soccer on, on the, uh, you know, on the state broadcaster. So there's a level of that's created a, a lot of that demand. I mean, personally, it's a little bit disappointing sometimes when, you know, I'll walk into uh, walk into a bar or into the hotel lobby and ask to uh, turn on baseball and find out I'm the only person who wants to watch it. So, you know, there, there are strains, but that being said, like I said, there, there is still a hardcore fan base. Uh, there is, again, more baseball talent being uh, developed there, but it's, uh, it's oftentimes for, for other markets. And so there's, there's some serious issues at play. Um, they're, they're trying to be progressive in, in, in many regards. I think that they recognize there's a problem, but then sometimes it's, you know, it's, uh, one step forward, two steps back. Um, again, I, I, I watch it from a couple different perspectives. First and foremost, I, I want to see uh, the league and, and the culture thrive, but also for, for everybody to get their, their chance to play at the highest level that they can. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to, uh, to watch, but it's, um, it's, there, there are a lot of changes, but even that, even as such, it's, um, it's, it, it, it's worth watching, I think. So definitely. And so for anybody out there, you want to subscribe to his YouTube channel. One of the things that I did not know about, and it was in your video about the greatest team ever was that there was actually segregation in Cuban baseball. And that's something that it might come to shock, but for anybody that's dealt with for, for a personal experience for myself and 
hear my father talking about some of these stories that he dealt with uh, growing up, it kind of makes sense in some ways. And so that's another, again, that's getting political. That's another story for another day. But um, I honestly, if you want to go to his YouTube channel, Cuban Dugout, and of course go to his website, CubanDugout.com, some great stories. And again, I just wanted to educate some of our Tiger fans a little bit about, again, there's just a lot of negativity, which we'll, Chris and I and you will get here in a second. But honestly, Phil, you're doing a great job. You're doing some great work and telling these stories and, it needs to be whatever happens to the series itself um, as it evolves with other sports and what have you. Uh, I still think there's such a value to the, having the Cuban history told because it's the really one of the oldest in terms of how long it's been around. It's, it's quite remarkable. Yeah. So uh, without getting too deep into it, you're right. There's, there's obviously a rich history that goes back to just two years after the, the launch of the national league. And, in, in, uh, and so in 1876, I think was kind of the first organized uh, organized professional league in, in, in Cuba. So there, there is a rich history there. There it's, you know, it's, it's long and winding and is tied into some, some big uh, elements and, and big moments in history overall. But even to today is still a great culture that welcomes foreigners by large and, and if people do have the opportunity to either visit and, and see it uh, or visit and see it through through my eyes what I uh, you know and the work I'm trying to do I hope that they enjoy that and and uh, if anybody wants to, to follow along all of my hashtags or, or sorry all of my handles are, are Cuba dugout Cuba dugout.com against multiple uh, multimedia um, you know uh, through through writing through photo through through uh, video Maybe it's multitasking, and anytime they say you're multitasking, you're you're probably doing it all poorly. But uh, hopefully, people follow along and enjoy. And and so, uh, yeah, thank you. No, no problem. We'll, we'll put the links in our podcast description tonight. So, Bill, we'll hopefully talk to you again soon. Thanks again. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks Bill. Yeah. So. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, there's uh, some good history lessons to everybody out there this evening, and uh, so I just wanted to. Um, yeah, I just wanted to have something a little different for the podcast. I really did. And um, it was nice to have Phil on. And in terms of just getting elaborate with the history, it definitely, to me and to anybody out there as a baseball fan, it's, I know this is maybe sound like a, oh, it's, you know, but Chris and I, and you, I, I know you're a historian of baseball too. So <laughs> to have, to have this on, it's a little different. So about you, I mean, that was great. I mean, he, obviously he's, uh, he's on the deep end of the pool. You know, I mean, he, he's very knowledgeable. That was, that was very interesting to listen to. I enjoyed that. Yeah. You know, I, f- I feel bad that I wasn't participating at all, but I know next to nothing about Cuban baseball. Like, you know, I, I, I was one of those people who believed the rumor for the years that, that Castro uh, tried out for major league teams or whatever, which ended up <laughs> not being true, but I did, I, you know, the only, I did think there were rumors about him kind of stacking his favorite team. I don't know uh, which team that was, but uh, but no, I mean it's fascinating. And one of the things to think about Cuba, you mentioned it, Raleo, that that like there was segregation in, in Cuba before, you know, in, in baseball. It doesn't seem all that surprising to me because Cuba was kind of like a colony of the United States there in the, in the early 1900s, wasn't? It? I mean, it was basically a place where people went on vacation yep. to gamble and, and visit prostitutes, and like it was, it was, you know, it was the history of America is, is one of exploitation, and uh, so it was, it was basically, you know, like what was that you? I'm sorry, it was kind of the Las Vegas of its time, really. Yeah, so, and, and yeah. also, and also too, um, 
Yep, that's right. Uh, we're Vango on it. Yeah, Cuban Dugout. So thanks for checking it out. We're Vango. We appreciate you uh, listening to us live on YouTube. And it was also because of the, and from my little bit of history, I know, I know that for a fact that how to do with if you're a Spanish landowner, if you're a Spanish landowner in Cuba, and then it in also it was kind of basically you're a darker color skin. If you're considered black or brown, you pretty much were hosed. Mm-hmm. There's no other way to say it. I mean, honestly. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's again, it's one of those things where it's, I don't know, I kind of, you have a picture of what Cubans look like in your mind these days, at least I do, and, and they look, uh, what's that? Huh? Oh, I was just I was saying. No, I, I just, you know, um, but you realize it, it like anything else in the West, Western Hemisphere, it was uh, basically you know colonized and uh by by white europeans who either then killed a bunch of people or you know slept with them <laughs> with or with or against their will and produced this kind of hybrid and and so yeah there's a lot of uh, a lot of the the ills that we saw in america for many years and maybe still see to now we're, we're there and who is a batista the, the the head of the government before castro was basically a puppet, right? Or the US and it was characterized yeah. by just tons of corruption. It's so my dad worked for Bautista. There's a actually there a picture of him. Remember, I showed you guys, I don't know if you if I showed you a picture of my dad. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna I'll find it right now while we're on recording. Um but, so yeah. watch it out there. Yeah. I like that I, Phil is like, yeah, I don't want to get political and then I just jump in and go, yeah, look at all this terrible political stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it, the, the, there's the thing about during that period of time for Cuba in the Bautista period, there's so many, like my dad really didn't talk about it too much. It was one of those things like he just, again, like finding pictures of his stuff after he passed away of him racing motorcycles and winning all these titles and everything never, ever talked about it. And I, and I kind of understand why now, because it's crap it, to me, it's well to, to our family interpretation, really, it's just kind of brutal it's kind of hearing that you know like you 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 spend all your life being raised there you have all your friends everything you know all of a sudden can't go back there and you can't relive the memories and and what have you and so that's something i didn't really think of before because every time we mention it it's like ah don't don't worry about it you know uh and you know like stuff like that and you just say you know no no you know like just you wouldn't want to talk about it so um yeah there yeah there it is so and yeah, he, he's actually contributing in the chat. So first and foremost, but it, there's, um, yeah, Phil's yeah. But it, no, again, yeah. not surprised that he has a much better grasp of of the, the situation and the politics uh, and the reality of it than I do. I just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Whatever I, I I think about it, baseball in Latin America and the way that the United States kind of takes advantage of that, it, it feels very much like. <laughs> kind of the history of the United States of taking advantage of poorer countries and, and taking what we need and yeah. then, you know, you know, not providing any help. But uh, I don't know. Maybe was, that's just me being weird. I was fascinated to hear about the youth development program only because I want to, you know, it's, it's so interesting that the government has such a role uh, and that's, so, you know, growing up, I mean, that was something the Russians and the Eastern Europeans are all about, you know, I mean, basically developing these, athletic behemoths <laughs> uh, for, you know, for political purposes from more than anything else. So it's just so interesting that, you know, that's still going on in Cuba, 90 miles off our shore. 
Although I'm sure China still probably does some of that too, where, where kids start getting developed real early uh, with government support. But it's almost like a little bit of a bygone era. Yeah, yeah. it was the joke when we were growing up was what the East East German swimmers or something like that. They, uh, yeah, the running joke. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they had to shave their mustache before each. Yeah. You know, like yes. they were really doped up on hormones. <laughs> and yeah, it's I'm trying to find some of these off the share it another way, because for whatever reason, our my screen capture program just decided to stop working for whatever reason. So I, I don't know what's going on there. Um. But yeah, there's what I ever see. There's a there's a picture of my father of him walking by, or there's him cutting sugar cane with a cigarette in his mouth, looking like a Street Fighter two character. There's a picture of him in uh, cool. front of a tank that I have, and I'm like I said, I'll when I, as soon as I get an ch- opportunity to capture that. So, oh yeah, the Russian influence. Yeah, Phil's talking about that on YouTube. Absolutely. There's when we when I went to the island in '99, we're in this. Uh, Russian car, one of these little K looking cars. Mm-hmm. Um and it was so it was so funny. It was so funny because it was maybe 50 horsepower and you could smell <laughs> gas the entire time. It's like putting along when we get out of the airport and like a golf cart. Yeah. And my dad uh, my dad paid this guy to drive us around the island. And I remember like the 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 airport's really nice. So you go out and then you're in this middle of this road. It's like just a dirt road, really nicely on dirt road you have you and then in the middle of this i think because we came in like 7 30 8 o'clock at night uh yes it was there was a it was a, yes this was this was like macadere muscle muscle yeah it was like a maroon car it's a, it was just a it was a piece of crap um but that was what they had and anyway um i feel bad saying that but it was it was true anyway so we're we're driving back in the evening and along the the, the highway we could see this like little like a outdoor bar and it's just the lights. That was it. And it was, but it was cool. Cause you know, you're not, every time you go off the highway, in the airport's like, you get bombarded, but it was just kind of like going off there and yeah. So yeah. He's at- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and Phil's point in there, interesting. There's a strong Russian influence on the Island, even down to the names. You know, I, I, we mentioned it a little bit when we talked to Kevin Goldstein a while back about all the, the ancient Greek names being used uh, and he said also, and then he, he, I asked him a question that he answered on his podcast and he was like, yeah, look at, look at, uh, Yuli Guriel. His name is Yuli Esky. That's not, yeah. that's, that's not a Hispanic name. That's like a Russian influenced name. And even like, Vladimir, yeah, Vladimir Guerrero. I mean, he's not Cuban, but like, it's still in the region, you know, it, it's yeah. So that it is kind of interesting. Yeah. Lazaro, Ivan, all those things. Yeah. It's, it's a good point. Well, that's a big, that's a popular bank back in the day in Cuba, from my understanding. Um, but yeah, there's there's my dad right there oh. with the uh, hat, or there's the hat, helmet, his motorcycle helmet, and I'll probably have to look for another picture. And yeah, here's here's working for the motorcycle shop he was at for a little while. Uh, some sort of damage there, some story behind that. That's a, it, what, what year was your dad born? Like 30-something? 1934. So yeah, I mean, he basically was an adult when – Everything changed. Yeah, and that's already lived a life. Hey, look at that! Oh yeah, the guy, that, the, yeah. The guy in the middle. I know who that is. <laughs> oh yeah, this is this is the picture I was talking about. Him cutting sugarcane. He looks like a he looks like a badass. I'm sorry, he kind of looks like a a badass here. And then this is when he got his citizenship. 
And yeah, this is kind of like his James Dean pose, I guess I want to say. <laughs> um, so yeah, if anybody's watching, for anybody on YouTube watching this now, um, I'll post, like I said, I'll post some of the stuff in the podcast description. So, but yeah, uh, here's like him right in the middle of this. Looks like a, just a group of people. And then, of course, he's wearing the, the typical. Uh, oh, yeah, the trailer park boys are from his hometown. That's uh, anybody who watches trailer park. Um, trailer park boys. I don't know if we have any in the audiences. I do. But anyway, or did. And then, yeah, this is him with his brothers and sisters. Not sure when, but this picture's kind of a little blurry. This is him and his buddies. And I'm not sure where that is in Cuba, but I thought that was a cool picture. And yeah, then it, with a, a buddy of his. So, but when we found these pictures, a lot of them he he had never shared and kind of was all, you know, so. Hmm. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Walter, thanks. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. That's that's cool. Yeah. I really, when I found these, I was pretty cool. But anyway. So, um, that being said, let's uh, move on to speaking of what you're saying earlier, Chris, the disasters or kind of things that are ugly was the, the 15 minutes today between the two sides. And as why the reason why the episode is 1459, we mentioned it earlier and it's also a sugary album too, but you know, 15, <laughs> one minute short of 15 minutes yeah. of fame. So, but um, well, I, I don't know if you saw what, while we were uh, during the interview, Jeff Passan tweeted out uh, something that said that the players and, and owners plan on meeting every day next week starting on Monday and that more and more owners and reps are coming in. And there was something that, that sounded like uh, somebody pointed out the players basically said, Hey, if we don't get 162 games, you're not getting expanded playoffs this year. And people think that that is actually going to move the needle for the owners to a, a significant degree. We'll see. Um, we do know it like the drop dead date hasn't happened yet for a full 162. So Maybe they just needed pressure like uh, like I did in college to get a paper done. Well, I think they need to ramp up the pressure, both sides. And, and uh, you know, saying things like that publicly, I think, does move the needle. And, and I, you got to believe, I mean, the owners are still going to make money if they play 144 games. But you know that they want the revenue for 162, and they definitely want those expanded playoffs. So I, I think that's fantastic that they're putting that out there. And they should be talking more. I mean, we've always heard the old stories about, you know, uh, President Truman locking the management and the union into room and saying, boys, we're not leaving until we have an agreement. Uh, we don't have to go that far, but there's no reason we have these sporadic short meetings. They should be talking and getting this done in a perfect world, which we don't have. Yeah, I mean, they should have been <laughs> doing this, I don't know. Six months ago, three months ago, a month ago, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Nothing like the threat of lost revenue suddenly becoming real to go like, hey, let's just, uh, no, wait a minute. Let's talk. Let's talk about it. So I don't, hopefully that's good news. I, I have, I've not been terribly optimistic for most of this process. Uh, I've gone through kind of, you know, sinusoidal waves of thinking like, yeah, this is going to get done and oh no, we're going to miss the whole season. But I, I, I don't know. I, I view more meetings as a good thing. So at least there's that. And uh, I don't know, we got, we got like a little bit of a taste of baseball with the spring camp opening up with all the minor leaguers. So that like gives me a little bit of optimism. Did you guys see the uh, tweet from uh, Bowden at the athletic? Oh man. Is he, he, the the players ahead. need to get, 
make a, a good faith effort to get this thing going. I thought that was pretty hilarious. Oh, man, that was and, and and for anybody unfamiliar, Jim Bowden, of course, was the former general manager of the Washington Nationals, correct? And, and, was, and was fired, I believe, after it was found that he was skimming bonuses from international players. Also, so what were you we don't know about? anything. You don't know squat, you stupid idiot. <laughs> were we talking about taking advantage of of poor players from uh, you know smaller countries? Yes. Jim yeah, Bowden, I, anyway, I don't I, think he should be talking about anything. Yeah, also. I got a few names I'd like to call him. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. You, know what's, you know what's funny? Raleo, you know, uh, when I was hanging out with my buddy John the other day. The scepter. Yeah, we were we were at a country club, as it were. You know, uh, rest in peace to the Oakland uh, Hills Country Club today. Oh, yeah, um, strange. And he called his dad, and his dad's like, you know, a big baseball fan, but just kind of, you know, surface level for the. I, I hate to be like dismissive like that, but like he loves baseball, but just like old school, like watches yeah. it, it, people talk about it, doesn't dig into the stats or anything like that. And he was like, he saw me, he's like, hey, you remind me of Chris Russo. No. I was like, oh no. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> oh man, no, 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 no. Dead, dead. That's just the garbage you get that, That's Chris Russo. That to me. Say that to anybody. Say it to somebody. Oh. <laughs> well, so he had never, I don't think he'd ever seen or heard of Chris Russo before, but then he popped up on whatever show Stephen A. Smith is on now, and, and that's he saw him, and he's like, oh, look at this guy. He, I like him. He's talking baseball. It's like. I actually have audio from what, actual audio of what people were saying after Jim Bowden, Jim Bowden, is it Jim Bowden? Sorry, Jim Bowden. Jim Bowden said after that, the comment today said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard at no point in your rambling incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it yes I award you no point yeah it's crazy like I I was like does he not I know, but again, Twitter is just a small part of the universe. It's not the biggest thing in the world. But when you put that out in in like a even an article piece, do you sit there and go, look, I mean, I know you're trying to get a job back in baseball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, simple no would have been <laughs> fine. But it's just like, look, just how do you not know your audience, Super? I mean, I, I, I honestly, like, you, you, people are reading this and going, okay, we get it. You used to be part of the elite club of people, what have you. And but I think the only way his comments could have made any sense were if he would have said, because the owners are making these microscopic concessions on a few things that almost can't even be taken seriously, the players need to step up and publicly try to move the ball forward with, with, you know, real substantive uh, considerations that could get the owners on board. You know, if, if he would have, you know, phrased it that way, he might've had at least some slight bit of credibility, but you know, when the owners are putting together this arbitration pool for 10 or $15 million, which is a pittance, you know, and the owner, the players want 115, there's this massive gap. You can't take the owners too seriously yet, I, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I, 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 that's the same thing. Like, it's just, it, to me, if you're going to say fa- some things of, of, of factual nature, or at least pretend to be objective. Yeah. And that's where I, I understand. Chris, I mean, was there anything else you want to say about Biden before we move on? Biden. Wow. <laughs> Bowden. <laughs> no, you know, uh, the, my, my laptop just crashed on me. So I'm now here on my phone. Okay. Uh, but no, I, I just, you know, I, I, I don't think it's just my Twitter that, that has, uh, has uh, veered this way, but I think Twitter gets pretty hard left at times. And so there's a lot of like labor support and you're not going to win a lot of fans uh, with arguments about like, you know, the players need to, to relent here and the owners again, let's support these owners guys. It's not, like I know there was a great tweet sometimes. It was like, "Welcome to Twitter. Here's your copy of uh, the Communist Manifesto." And <laughs> I don't know. I have to get to find the t- 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 tweet right, but yeah, you're not going to find a lot of people supporting you. Uh, you know, when you're you start calling them, let's go, Bowden. Yeah, let's go, Bowden. <laughs> Whatever his name is, just I, I'm glad to say it incorrectly. I'm just, you know what? I'm glad this. I'm, you know, I'm pretty proud of the fact that on our podcast we don't we avoid the politics stuff because there's just those no. I don't know. I, there's a lot more entertaining things out there, but one more picture, by the way, I want to show you guys. This is my grandmother who I, I never got a chance to meet. This is her in, she's in at this point in her life, like in her sixties, look at her being a badass benching that. Look at that. Wow. Grandma Castillo was awesome. a badass. Look at that. And again, this is also in Cuba. I think this is at, I think we near the place I stayed at, but that is my grandma pumping some iron. Can you bench that much? Um, <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> I could say I just, that maybe ten years ago, but uh, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> fill, fill the YouTube chat uh, while I was getting those gains. <laughs> but yeah, that's more of a deadlift, isn't it? For me, it's more of a deadlift than a bench, right? Yeah, deadlift. But either way, uh, <laughs> I wanted to share that real quick, so anybody who's watching on YouTube will get that. Um, again, I forget that on the audio form we have to say watch it on YouTube. Because there's this podcast called Who Are These Podcasts? And ever since I started listening to it, I, I go, man, I do, do we do some of these podcast tropes? And I have to kind of watch myself with it because we, I think we run a pre- pretty professionally ran podcast. I don't want to keep it that way. I don't want to go to amateur hour stuff and you know, take a take a like take my f- uh, phone for example and show you a picture on the screen, which is just ridiculous. But anyway, um, one anything else in terms of yeah, mini camp by the way, Jackson Job. What were your thoughts on him? He, we're talking about this a little earlier. He looked a little bigger than I anticipated. He had big wide shoulders. And Jake, I like his comp. Jake said, compare him to Roy Oswald. Roy no, Oswald. Yeah, I recall Oswald as being about six feet tall, or maybe yeah. not even. I'm not entirely. I think it was concerned. like 5'11 or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it was still not a ton of looks at, at Job just yet, though. The one thing I have heard is that the Tigers are very, very high on him. Uh, uh, even like, you know, we, we knew that already, but uh, yeah, apparently what they've seen so far makes them even happier about him. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know what we would expect to hear out of the first couple of days of camp, but yeah, like, like it's, he looked good out there in the, you know, limited bullpen sessions we saw. He threw, uh, you know, Evan Petzold had a couple videos of, of, and he had one from behind the mound and one from behind the catcher view. And, and uh, you really got a chance to see that slider, which was, uh, you know, seems to be as advertised. So 
that was pretty cool. You know, as someone who dabbles as an um, uh, amateur umpire, it would be really fun to be behind the plate and see that thing, that slider come in. That'd be pretty amazing. But I was really, and again, I'm, I'm no pitching coach and I don't pretend to be, um, but the video from behind the mound, and I know it's just a bullpen session, so he may not have been full go, but uh, I was struck by the nice balance that he finished in. You know, he really looked under control, uh, after, you know, after release. Um, I got to believe, you know, anybody can get hurt, but that's got to be good, uh, at least some kind of a good sign moving forward. Mechanic. Yeah. So wait, wait. <laughs> sorry yeah no no i i agree i mean that was one of the i i, I had just written up his prospect uh profile you know that we've been doing over at motor city Bengals, and, and it's it was basically exactly like uh what we wrote after he was drafted like like the, everything about him is is exactly what you want in a pitching prospect for the most part, I, other than perhaps maybe him being like six five, two twenty five, or whatever. But but that's not necessarily the thing people want anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like the stuff is there. The delivery seems pretty low maintenance, and like like look at that. It's just kind of he looked like he's just playing catch, and and he probably wasn't going, you know, full bore there. But it's still, I mean, that just about everything you want is is there. I, I don't. Uh, the only only real concern is he's a pitcher and they all break. So just a matter of, of how long it's going to be before he breaks. Oh, there's that slider. Woo! Yeah. yeah. You know, if you, if you're catching that, uh, like a couple times when I watched that, I'm like, it almost looked like a two seamer, like it started going to the arm side and then came back. Like, I know it's not true, but it like, yeah, there's a little bit of wiffle ball action there. And, and uh, yeah, obviously, you know, a pitch like that is going to work, particularly if he can locate it and and work it in with the other pitches. It's one thing to have the crazy spin and a good breaking ball, but you know, it takes more than that to be a pitcher. Uh, and and they uh, really seem to think that he's got all the ingredients to do that. So I don't know. We, we, go ahead. I just say you see that fastball. Um, I know when you're behind a plate, and if you can't, if, if a pitcher is is hiding that ball. Um, that thing gets on you so fast because you really don't pick it up until maybe it's a third of the way to the plate. And I, I mean, obviously that, that view there is not perfect, but man, it really looked like that fastball had some jump to me where I was not seeing it right out of his hand very well. Uh, it's hard to tell with that camera angle, but then that last half the pitch just had a, looked like it'd be just on you quick. It'd be pretty impressive yeah and and you know all the scouting reports talk about how his changeup is really good too and and we saw a couple of them in the when he was uh was the perfect game national or not piggy perfect game classic i think it's called you know the, the big all-star game uh two summers ago now i guess uh he threw all four of his pitches in that you know he's got a, a slower curveball and the, the sliders in the low 80s the fastballs in the mid 90s it's just yeah it's uh it's exciting. He's the, he's the guy I want to see the most this year, just because, you know, we haven't really seen him in game action. So got to figure out a way to get down to Lakeland or who knows, maybe they love him so much. He goes straight to West Michigan. Let's not get crazy, but they <laughs> did it with Porcello. They did it with Turner. Like I said, go to our Patreon tigers, my league report. 
if you don't help us get to Lakeland. So any every bit helps. And we are going to, once Chris gets the schedule cleared with, we was talking about this last night, we're going to have a place to stay. Ken from Tiger Mining League Tracker said we can go stay with him. So we have a place to stay. We just need to get down there. So, Chris, got to talk to the – we got to talk to the respective ladies in our lives and, and you, if you want to come down too, I mean, well, I don't want to impose and say, Oh yeah, I'm sure. He oh, it'd be a great time. Him. Yeah. But it's, I want to see him pitch and yeah, we're going to, you know, and Phil's right. He said that in the YouTube chat, we have to be patient with him. He's 19, but look at this. I mean, just like I was, I wanted to see him like I, doing his reports and looking at that. I was like, well, I can't really say, but now this gives me a better picture of what he's capable of. And it actually, to me, it gives me a little calm and, and a little bit of a reassurance that the Tigers did a good thing. Not that I wasn't doubting in the first place, but again, we're the expectations of having a 19-year-old pitcher drafted that high. And you saw that when Meyer could have been a potential signing too, but again, we don't know the back story behind it. So I, I wish fans would stop doing that. But now with this, it's like, okay, you know what? A slider is, I mean, for being 19 years old, holy Holy cow. Yeah. No. I mean, I could say other objectives that are very, you know, a little more, but yeah, I mean, and then um, what was interesting was, was Bo Brisky had, so they showed some uh, Bo Brisky footage. He, was, he had a number four, which you don't hardly see. Yeah. I don't know if you guys saw that or not, but um, no. yeah, so he was rocking the number four. He was the Tiger Minor League Pitcher of the Year, 2021 Minor League Pitcher of the Year. And all right, if we had the award, I think Chris would be fair to say he would have been our pitcher of the year, right? I mean, just based off his performance. Did we? I, mean, not, I know we never you know, really I, did a formal thought, thing. I thought we did and and gave it to him. But if not, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he was. There were some pitchers who had good years last year, but he was definitely the one who took the the biggest step forward and turned himself into a prospect and had the best numbers, really. Yeah, there aren't too many single digit pitchers. Yeah, there's Brisky there on the number four. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube. And yeah, it's cool. See, he's so, a Brett Favre guy. Yeah, or no, or uh, <laughs> or he's trying to erase the memories of Bobby Higginson to some people. I don't know. Or yeah. Cameron Maven. I think Cameron Maven wore his number four too at one point, wasn't he? Maybe he's asserting his uh, his belief that he could be a number four starter. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Evan we take Pitzold, Evan Pitzold is doing a really good job down there getting video. And apologize if I butchered his name incorrectly, but. That is what's going on in minicamp, and that's really about it. As far as that goes, is there anything else where I'm missing, Chris? No, I don't think so. I mean, we, we projected uh, – we, we tried to project all the rosters. We talked about – I think I mentioned – I don't know if I mentioned it on the, the show, but looking at, at uh, Jackson Jobs, like, you know, the, the injury stuff, when I started looking to do his dad – I don't know if I mentioned that on the podcast or not. I don't think so. But no, I think uh, you mentioned yes. Did you mention it yesterday, right? On, I on may. Report? I, I may have. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know. I, you know, at the risk of repeating myself, basically, I just was like, you know, one of the things we like about one of the many things we like about Job is is there's some athletic bloodlines there. His dad is a professional golfer, one of the the best professional golfers to never win on the PGA Tour. It seems like, and he he made millions of dollars, and he won on like the senior tour tour and, and won. Uh, overseas but he also something i didn't realize was injured like a dozen times mm. which was something i was like well wait you know i'm slightly worried about that uh although like his his most uh 
troubling injury had nothing to do with like the sport. He was sweeping in his garage and somehow managed to chop off the tips of two of his fingers. Uh, yeah. I, um, okay. But he also had, uh, I think, left rotator cuff surgery when he uh-huh. was young. He had uh, he, he broke the hammock bone in his left hand twice. And he also completely like tore all the ligaments and cartilage in his left wrist, which is, uh, you know, like I said, these sorts of things are like, huh, that's kind of concerning. But at the same time, golf is a completely different animal than baseball. Uh, and despite all those in- injuries, he managed to keep coming back. And at one point, he had to completely remake his swing and still managed to come back from that and win, which to me is a different level of athleticism that that kind of speaks to like just the ability to adjust and be able to to retrain your muscle memory is, is a huge thing for athletes. And uh, I don't know, again, just kind of applying all this stuff to Job seems unfair, but it's what we can do right now because that's yeah. all we have. So one of the things that was new in Chris Mikowski, the Detroit News pointed out, and then Evan took some video of this is a new blue wall. And they're like, well, what's this wall for? Well, found out today it's for throwing weighted balls against it. It's never, it's never been a thing down there. I don't remember in the three days out in Lakeland last year. I don't remember seeing this. So have you guys ever seen this before? No, I haven't. No, not in Lakeland. It wouldn't shock me if they've been doing weighted ball training, but been throwing like throwing it at somebody else's wall, not somebody else's <laughs> wall, but like somewhere else in the facility and everybody like, come on guys, there's pipes back there. Yeah. So, <laughs> I've seen so kids throwing a weighted ball against a chain link fence and it's annoying as hell. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is, yeah. It, and it's, you can, you can see the point of this really. I mean, they're doing it standstill. It's just trying to, to strengthen your shoulders basically. And, and uh, you know, it's something that was, I know it, it, it kind of feels like one of the, <laughs> Oh, nice. You know, I was at a, uh, I was at a birthday party this past weekend for one of my son's friends at, at a place out here called the arcade. And it, it's basically an arcade that uh, has most, mostly old, uh, like old classic video game machines and pinball. And you're talking like about this and you're talking about this now. What kind of friend yeah. are you, Chris? I mean, well, I, I mean, I don't know. It, it's one of those you go, you pay twenty dollars to get in, and then you could pay uh, play however long you want, whatever you want. Um, Again, you just tell yeah. me this now. And on Sundays, it's fifteen dollars. But ah! uh, so I was playing. I was playing a bunch of Arkanoid, which is of course a, a breakout, uh, a like a brick breaking game. But uh, yeah, anyway. So that that's funny. Yeah, it does look like they're <laughs> they're trying to break those bricks down. But, yeah, you you show me pictures of the trampoline place, but you don't bother showing me the arcade. I I see how it is. I I see. Okay. That's I've only been there a handful of times. You know, it's it's, you know, I think the newest game there is from like 2007. That's okay, quite frankly, because there's not if, if if you're gonna, there's a lot of cool arcades. There's Checkers Bar in Detroit. There's Ready Player One down there, and there there's like this. There's another arcade where I was. There's a few of them. There's a two floor story one in chicago and they were talking about going there versus we did we did miniature uh miniature putt putt for the work event and video games died at et phil says in the chat oh well they buried them i mean you literally buried them but the that documentary was interesting did you ever see yeah, that yeah i did see that it was really well done and next time i go to chicago i'll definitely do that but um in terms of second the check out the arcade but at any rate so We'll keep you updated next week if there's anything. There's going to be a Lakeland drop. The rotation drop will drop tomorrow. I just got in. My knuckles are finally not. That was some interesting driving, but my I'll tell you what, 
until I got to Kalamazoo, everything was cool. And then from Kalamazoo on, it just got worse and worse. And then by the time I got to Jackson, it was complete whiteout. And so, oh. yeah, that was in, in funny. Yesterday in Chicago, it was 50 degrees. It was it was 50 here as well. It oh, yeah, was, three, yeah. It was 50 and rainy. And then you kind of, it was like uh it was like the day after tomorrow or something like that. You could the, the temperature was dropping like a degree every minute, it seemed like. And I could watch as the, the water on my deck froze and then the snow started falling. And there were like four accidents. I live three miles from Harrison School. There were like four accidents on the way there. So I was like, oh, man, I hope Raj, uh, you know, takes it easy on the freeway. And and you never know in situations like that. This is where you see those like 600 car pileups. It's like, oh, man. So I'm glad you made it home safely. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, and then out of, you know, it was funny, not funny, but it was kind of interesting was there's only three cars that were that veered off into a ditch or some, of some sort. So that was really, there was, there was a couple of cars too. That was just like 80 or 90 like, going there. And I'm just, I don't know why. Anyway, I don't sound like an hey, old person, but. Hey, Raj, can you do me a favor? Can you, can you pull up a picture for me? A uh, picture of what? Can you look up Rockhopper Penguin? Rockhopper Penguin? Penguin, yeah, Rockhopper Penguin, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, put put it on the screen there. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's see. Well, let me hold on. Let me uh, I'll, uh, let me pull that up there. All righty. Let's see here. Sorry, this is. I know this is great audio. <laughs> audio for one right now at the moment, but uh, <laughs> okay. So watch on YouTube. Okay. Cannot wait. Oh, th- there we go. Okay, yeah. All right. How does this compare? I asked. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah, that, one, that one down uh, a couple of them. Yeah, my, my hair. I had to put you, know eyebrow, you, you know the eyebrow line. I like it. It's, uh, yeah, it's a real rock hyper, uh haircut these days. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Like, it looks like I had hair plugs or something like that. I was lying <laughs> down with hair. By the way, I, I before we get out of here, first and foremost, I wanted there was uh, something I saw today on social media. One of somebody who's a regular listener said something about our podcast being pretty high quality and keep it engaged. And they mentioned they mentioned something. Uh, they mentioned another thing in town, and they're they're like, well, that other thing is like hot takes and stuff like that. And I was rather compliment. I was rather flattered by the compliment about our podcast, and so. Just a little cool thing I saw, and it was it was funny, and it's more of an eternal joke between all of us. But it, nevertheless, it was it was good to see. So glad that people are still tuning in throughout yeah, the pandemic. Nice. I, and I missed that. I you're not going to uh, get comparisons to rock hoppers at every. No, the rock hoppers. No, no. We'll, 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 we'll talk rock hopper. We'll talk rock opera. We'll talk we'll rock talk lobster. Rock lobster. Yeah, it's on. Um, Tommy, Tommy, the rock opera. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole. Oh, yeah, I could definitely talk about that at some point but uh that's a different podcast for a different day we are also putting the link emily walden's pitch ninja shirts the fight cancer edition are back and being printed you pretty got one uh terry everybody get one uh, what what you you did get one no i did everybody needs to go get one okay 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 that's right yes i was gonna say i thought i saw you had one yeah and then chris has got one on the way right yeah yes yes i do yeah sorry yeah so um, I, i was muted for a second yeah, so I and then of course, yeah, those we'll put the link in there. We've got a lot of link stuff to put in our the podcast description tonight. So but hopefully we'll have some good news next week that hopefully there will be baseball. If they're gonna be starting meeting Monday and get this going, then I'm assuming we can only assume or irresponsible speculation they want to get this done quick because 
I don't think baseball could take another black guy. I, I think fans like I had a I had a fan DM me earlier on Twitter was like, what the hell's going on? And he thought he was asking me about my opinions with the season. Like, there's too much risk to momentum here. It's they they built some momentum last year, even with all the strange things about the spike balls and all that stuff. And so baseball can't afford another, can't do it. So but uh new episode of tomorrow will be dropping and the Tiger Runner Report podcast that we recorded on Wednesday will be also dropping as well. So plenty of stuff coming over at MotorCityBangles.com. Check out all the great content Chris did an article today about the videos that were going out there. And Special Oracle said at number two on our prospects list, which leads us to number one. And if you do the math, you know who that is. So that'll be dropping too as well. And yeah, we're looking forward to getting the cr- uh, content cranked out again and, and getting some relevant baseball. And also, I just want to give a shout out to Jeff Ponis, who I'm now producing his baseball podcast the 90th percentile so you can find it at baseball america and i just i want to thank jeff for giving the opportunity to do that and so just doing the editing adding some music stuff and uh help just making sure it sounds good so that's another podcast you should add to your rotation nice. not because i'm personally involved in it but jeff does a really good job he's interviewing some really big names like tom house and he interviewed a pitching coach in the seattle mariner system who had a really fascinating story on how he got into that and that's worth it so if you want to hear some good stories check out the 90th percentile over at baseball america is there anything else you guys want to throw out there before we get out of here one more thing i want to mention uh if you're listening to this on thursday college baseball starts tomorrow yes. if you're listening to it on friday college baseball is starting uh and you've got some pretty interesting matchups there's a the state farm showdown michigan is taking on number 14 texas tech which is always going to be fun and then you've got who else is playing in that tournament arizona and kansas state so yeah, they're, uh, you know, if you're hungry for baseball, there are, uh, there are games to watch. The biggest one is probably going to be uh, Oklahoma State at Vanderbilt. A lot of potential draft picks in that. Oh, that's a good and, one. Uh, and I'll give you a sneak preview. So uh, I'm also writing because, uh, you know, college baseball is starting. I'm, I've got a, a 2022 MLB draft piece uh, starting tomorrow. And the Tigers picked 12th in the draft this year. Uh, and they've picked 12th once before in team history. Uh, it was 1978. They picked 12th overall. You, you guys uh, guess who that is? Oh, no, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Mm-hmm. Are you, are you going to take a guess first? Oh, boy. Is it an outfielder? It is an outfielder. Is it Steve Kemp? No. No, 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 no. That would be Kemp. would be Kemp. He'd been um, playing by 78. Yeah, I wouldn't. No, yeah, you're right, right. right. I'm trying to think. Um, Pat Sheridan? No, no, no. He got drafted by the Royals, remember? Oh, okay. Okay, so 78. Did he play on the 84 team? He did. Oh, Kirk Gibson. Kirk Gibson. Kirk Gibson, their 12th overall pick. Yeah, Yeah. and uh, of course, famously a dual sport star. And there is another dual sport left-handed hitting outfielder in the draft this year who might be available at 12. Gibson is the all-time reception leader in Michigan State, I believe. Is it all time reception still? I thought he let in like I thought it was like yards per catch, or maybe maybe it's yards per catch. But maybe it's because I, I would think someone like like uh, Charles Rogers or Plexico Burris would have passed him. But I don't. Who knows? Anyway, yeah, anyway, yeah, but, you know, bloop. Uh, so yeah, so anyway, that's a preview. I, I think uh, yeah, I like it. So thanks for joining us, Phil. Again, thank you for joining us this evening. It was really really insightful conversation about Cuban baseball, and uh, we'll be plugging his website in our description. His album of choice, by the way, was 
Huey Lewis and the News is 1984 classic sports. No. And that's been uh, that's gonna take me a couple days to do. Is that the one that up. is that the one that uh, uh, the American Psycho talks about? Yep. Outst- outstanding. Was say, was also, say, my first my first concert, Huey Lewis and the News. Really? Marquette, Michigan, 1984. They played in Marquette? Marquette, really? Yeah, he played up in Northern Michigan. Yeah, uh, I was there. It was awesome. Yeah, that's such a. I mean, I'm not saying that nothing happens in Northern Michigan, but it, I did not, didn't, you know, didn't expect that. So, yeah, Lakeview, uh, Lakeview Arena. Is that still around, by the way, Lakeview Arena? I think they're still playing at the Lakeview Arena. So, yeah. all right, so hockey we'll, in the Superior Dome. Oh, the Superior Dome. That's such a cool place to watch a game. It was yep. one of my favorite experiences going up there. So, on that note, we'll leave you with this. You like Huey Lewis in the news? <laughs> They're okay. Their early work was a little too new wave for my taste. But when sports came out in 83, <laughs> they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. Well, the yeah. whole album has a clear, crisp sound and a new sheen of consummate professionalism that really gives the songs a big boost. Oh, man. Perfect. He's been compared to Elvis Costello, but I think Huey has a far more bitter, cynical sense of humor. Hey, Albert's joining up. Yes, Alan? Why are there copies of the style section all over the place? Do you, do you have a dog? A little chow or something? <laughs> no, Alan. Is that a raincoat? Yes, it is. <laughs> In 87, Huey released this for their most accomplished album. I think their undisputed masterpiece is Hip to Be Square. A song so catchy, most people probably don't listen to the lyrics, but they should, because it's not just about the pleasures of conformity and the importance of friends. It's also a personal statement about the band itself. By the way, there's a parody of him, uh, Weird Al, acting, because Weird Al did a Persian or version of that song, and Huey Lewis is playing the Christian character so or patrick Bateman. so anyways on that note we'll see you next week we should end the podcast more with